Jesus, uh, we call out to you, the prime mover. You know, it says in uh, Proverbs, a man makes his steps, or a man makes his plans, but, but it's the Lord who really directs his steps. So we just want to acknowledge that together here now. And uh, your will, your capacity to move, so much greater than ours. And so would you just keep moving until you're done moving? We just together and individually affirm right now, Jesus Christ, please, we humbly ask, would you just keep moving until you're done moving? And so we pray this in your exalted, relevant, one and only name, the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, it's like we always say, like, my relationship with God, is, uh, it's not private, but it is certainly personal. I don't see him as being human, so you can't have a human relationship with him. There are people who believe that, that uh, uh, what shirt I put on this morning, that, that God cared what shirt I put on. That's nonsense. I do think God is so big and so vast that um, we'll never get to know him exhaustively. I felt like I heard a voice from heaven speak to my situation and tell me that everything was going to be okay. And I've lived a blessed life since then, since turning my life to God. You have to experience it for yourself. I think it's, it's something hard to describe unless you're actually willing, willing to go there. You know, first of all, Greetings to all of you at uh, Bolingbrook, all of you at 95th, Wheaton, and Hobson. I'm feeling a little sad that this Explore God adventure is coming to an end. Uh, there was so much excitement and anticipation, and God has moved in my life, and I know in many of you, and uh, well, this is it, 800, more than 800 churches concluding this journey this week, right now. Uh, these thousands of discussion groups winding up their time. Now, though Explore God comes to an end, the adventure with God continues on. And, and one of the things that gives me excitement is the fact that though this uh, initiative is coming to an end, the next series is one I cannot wait for. It's called Parable, Stories of Grace. And grace, you, you, do you understand grace? No, you don't. I don't under, none of us understand grace fully. It is a dynamic from another world, from the heart of God. And grace, when understood, when integrated, has the power to change the way you see yourself. The way you see God, the way you see life, grace changes everything. And we're going to learn from the master, Jesus Christ, who taught us about grace through stories, parables can't wait to start. In fact, can I invite uh, ushers at all of our campuses right now to come down and to pass out these parable invitation cards? Uh, the, the, take as many of them as you're inclined to, to pass out. Uh, this is to remind you of the new series, but you can also pass these to neighbors, co-workers, various folks and say, hey, uh, come to this new series at our church. It's really going to be an interesting one. All right. Friends, as we begin uh, our message today, I want to start by just acknowledging that I am a passionate 
fan of the Chicago Bears. Can we put them up here on the screen? And uh, I had an interesting experience some years ago. I was after church in the lobby, and this guy comes up to me and says, hey, Jeff, I work for the Chicago Bears. And he said, I got something for you. And he hands me two tickets to an upcoming Bears game. And he points out that they are in the eighth row from the field. And I'm like, oh, you know, I I don't get to go to Bears games very often and never this close. And my heart was just racing because I realized I was already planning on watching the game on that day on TV like I do every week. But I realized, wow, as it turns out, my experience of the Bears is going to be different than I thought it was. I, okay, if this is the Bears, uh, my experience, I thought, was going to be way over here watching them on TV, right? And now, eighth row, I realize I'm actually going to experience the Bears much closer than I anticipated. But then, he says to me, oh, uh, did I imply that I'm giving them to you free of charge? He said, uh, if you want them, you have to help me solve a problem. He said, I got a problem. He goes, uh, I work for the Bears. I told you that. He goes, actually, I'm the chaplain of the Chicago Bears. Every Sunday morning before their game, I provide them a little church service, a sermon. And on the particular day of this game, he said, I am unable to preach for them. And so I was wondering if you'd be willing to provide them a sermon. And being the servant-hearted guy, (laughs) you know that I am. I died to myself and said, all right, you know, (laughs) twist my arm. I'm there for you, my friend. And so uh, it wasn't just being, you know, there to watch the game. I was in the same room with them. Man, my heart was beating as I walked into this little room filled with 30 Bears players, the biggest human beings I have ever seen in my life. And I was like, oh. 30 people is rather small as far as preaching a sermon, but I've never been so nervous, you know. And, and, I, and I'm like, wow, I am, this Sunday is turning out to be very different than I had originally thought. Not only am I attending the game, but before the game, I'm in the room with them. They're, I'm looking them in the eye. They're looking me in the eye. I'm, I'm sharing my heart regarding God's word, and they're listening to me. I didn't expect this. And then after this little sermon, I expected them all to just split and get ready. But no, they came up front and wanted to converse with me. Uh, I'm asking them questions about them, and they're answering, and then they're asking me questions. And conversing with them is even closer than I ever expected to get. And then the biggest one came where after conversing for a while, these guys were like, Pastor, would you join us for breakfast? They said, uh, there's, there's this banquet hall here at the hotel. This all happened at a hotel near Soldier Field. And they said, they, they provide this gourmet breakfast. The food's awesome. Would you join us? Oh, uh, let me check the time. Okay, yes, I will, you know. And when I found myself sitting around the table, you know, laughing and telling stories and asking Julius Peppers to pass the bacon, you know, I was just like, wow. Maybe you've noticed this before, but when you share a meal with someone, 
That is tight. You, you say to someone, hey, would you come over to my home? We'd like to enjoy it. There's something about the table and the relational connection that context affords. And that was the case with the Lord, too. Jesus, in his day, when he wanted to convey the type of relationship he wanted to have with us, he used table language. Most people, you know, say, like, oh, God, he's way away in heaven somewhere, and we imagine that we're way over there. And if we're connecting with God, it was like me watching the bears on TV. You know, there's some God out there somewhere. God's like, no, that's not what I'm looking for. God says, come closer. No, no, come closer yet. God says, no, that's not my intent. Come closer yet. God invites us all the way to where Jesus says what he's looking for. The ancients called it table fellowship. This picture of tight friendship symbolized by gathering around a table for a meal. You say, really? Is that in the Bible? Yeah. The verse I want to study with you to understand the nature of relationship God is looking for is a verse that I've always adored. It dawns on me, I've never preached it. So it's such a joy to be able to finally turn with all of you and study this passage together. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus speaking. And he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and what? Eat with them. And they with me. Do you see the table fellowship imagery of what God is looking for with us? You see it both ways. Uh, I will come in, I will eat with them, they will eat with me. You know, a give and take, a relationship. That's what he's looking for. And I know that for some, you hear Christians talk about having a personal relationship with God, and you're like, what are you talking about? He's invisible. He's inaudible. You can't hear him. And anyways, even if you could, how are you, a puny human being, going to relate to the exalted great king and maker of all the universe? That doesn't even make sense. And so here's what we mean by having a relationship with God. It's, it's pictured by Jesus with these words of sitting around a table. Let's think about table fellowship. Jesus used this as a picture of greatest intimacy when he would look to notorious sinners and say, hey, I must eat with you today. Do you remember that? And the religious establishment would freak out and go, oh, he's eating with sinners because they understood that if you dine with someone, you're showing that you love them, that you accept them, that you celebrate them, that you consider them friends. And because that was such a big deal in that culture, these uh, religious leaders were like, never would I dine with them. Jesus goes, well, I would. And as a result, he was called a friend of sinners because he gathered around the table. Well, the Lord here is saying, that's still what I'm longing for. It's a picture of the intimate friendship I'm desiring to have with humanity. If you want to understand how you relate to an invisible God, I think this picture helps. When you meet with someone around a table, one of the things you do is you talk. You have a conversation, right? And that's what God wants our relationship to look like. And you say, how can you have a conversation with God? Well, you understand one aspect of it, and that is that we speak to God through prayer. But he responds, and he speaks 
One of the ways is through the Bible. Every day when I turn to the Bible to read, what I'm really going after is hearing the voice of God speak to me through his book. But he also speaks by his spirit. And I know this sounds a little strange, but we grow to where we recognize thoughts popping into our mind and we, we identify divine origin of those thoughts. We're like, oh, that encouragement was from God. That nudge, that guidance, that was from God. And your day can become a running conversation with your best friend, the Lord Almighty. That's what happens around a table, and that's what a relationship with God looks like. You know, there's another thing about around a table. Around a table, you really get to know someone. Isn't that the truth? Uh, you may walk past someone at work and say, hi. You know, but that's not where you get to know them. If you do lunch with them and see what they order, and see how they eat, and see them drip barbecue sauce on their shirt, you know, you're getting to know the real them, and, and, and that's what God wants. He's like, I don't want us to be strangers. God says, I want, you, I know you, I want you to know me. And friends, when, when we say we have a personal relationship with God, one of the things we're saying is that he's no longer a mystery to us in the way that he was at one time. There was a time when we didn't get him at all. I mean, what is this concept of God? Now, increasingly, we know his personality. Through the Bible, he's revealed how he feels and how he responds emotionally to various moments and situations. And we say, oh, Lord, I, now, I get you. Now, there's a certain sense in which he'll always be a journey of discovery. He's infinitely complex. But we know him so much more. We, we adore him. His beauty has captured our attention. And, and we know him. That's what we mean when we say we have a relationship with God. Is I, I know him. There's more. Around a table, sometimes we get real. We get real about our struggles. And that's when, what God wants with us. That's what a relationship with him looks like when we say, Hey, Lord, uh, you know it's not all cool in my life. I've got some major problems that I just want to articulate to you. Uh, I need help. I need guidance, or I need you to provide, or you to help and empower. And God steps in. He's like, we're in a relationship. We're in this together. I'll help you. That confession of need and God stepping in to meet the need, that's a relational dynamic evidenced by table fellowship. One more I see, and that is central to table fellowship, is the enjoyment of food, right? One of the reasons you share a meal with people is because good food tastes better in good company. The best thing is to enjoy the best parts of life with people you love. And friends, that applies to God. The best way to do life is to enjoy the goodness in life with God. Um, I just, in my personal quiet time, I happen to be working through First Timothy. This morning, I, got, I arrived at First Timothy 4.4, and the passage says, all of God's good creations are to be received and enjoyed with thanksgiving to the Lord, which means acknowledgement of God's presence, saying, Lord, I love this about life. Music and art and food and sport and dance and movie. I want to enjoy it all with you, my best friend, and give you praise and thanks for your contribution to what I'm enjoying. This is what it means to have a friendship with God. 
And friends, it's the best part of life. Now, though it's the best part of life, the sad reality is that often people miss out and don't enjoy that table fellowship kind of relationship. Often uh, they experience what the original recipients of this verse experience. Who were the original recipients of this verse? Revelation 3.20. A church called the church of Laodicea. Laodicea was this ancient city in modern day Turkey. And it was rich. It was affluent. Uh, Laodicea was just with these industries that made them successful. And the problem is they enjoyed the gifts so much that they forgot the giver. How do we know they forgot the giver? He's on the outside of the door knocking. Do you see that? They've pushed him out. He's got a, hello, might I join you? I mean, do you see that's the downside of this verse is Jesus has been pushed out. And why? Again, it's wealth. Look, let me read another verse Jesus said just a few verses earlier. Speaking to the church in Laodicea, Jesus quoted them in Revelation 3.17. He said, you, the Laodiceans, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing, including you, God. Get out. And friends, we run that same risk. We run the risk of missing the point of life, which is prioritizing this friendship with God. We run the risk of being so mesmerized by stuff and the accumulation of more stuff and the enjoyment of our stuff that we forget what it's all about. And so here's a question. How do you not make that mistake? How do you prioritize and build friendship with God? That's what I'd like to look with you now. And I actually think by returning to our verse, we can find four steps that help us find, build friendship with God, all right? And these four steps that I see in the verse all relate to door hardware. I love hardware. And I I see door hardware in this passage. And the first piece of door hardware that I see is this. This is, uh, I think we used to call them a peephole or a door viewer. You know, see, you put it through the door and you can look and see if there's someone or who that someone is on the other side of the door. And you're like, you see a people in this passage. Well, sort of. Uh, Here, let's go to the next slide. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door. Jesus is announcing his nearness, that he's right there at the door. He wants us to see him right there. And so the step, as I would describe it, is we've got to embrace his presence near us. If you want a friendship with God, you need to learn that he's right there. The big problem is so many people, when they imagine God, they imagine him as some God far away in heaven, As long as he's far away in heaven, no relational dynamic is going to develop. The Bible promises the nearness of God. And admittedly, it's hard to see him as near because he is invisible and inaudible. But the eyes of faith can see him. When I say the eyes of faith, faith is almost just like hearing and seeing one of the senses. Faith is like a sense to know invisible realities that Scripture declares, like the presence of God. The passage here says, I'm here. I'm right at the door of your life. 
If you have faith, you're like, oh, yes, you are. Faith is claiming what you can't see to be true because he says it's so. And the more you live in that and practice claiming that and knowing it, the more your faith grows. Faith is like a muscle. You know, when you don't use your muscle, it atrophies. Well, the more you lean into faith and say, you know what, Lord, I see you. I don't see you with my eyes. But I I know you tell me you're right here. And I believe it. You do that again and again and again, and that faith grows to where your capacity to know, to recognize, to experience his nearness grows. You know, my wife and I have a bad habit. Uh, we, we shout at each other from different floors of the house. You know, if I'm upstairs and want her attention and she's downstairs, rather than going downstairs to talk to her, I'll be like, hey, honey! You know, she's like, what? You know, and when it's really bad is when you think she's downstairs, but she's actually right behind you, and you're, hey, honey! And she's like, Jeff, I'm right here. You don't have to yell at me. That's what we do with God. You know, we're like, Lord, if you can hear me! And he's like, uh, yeah, I'm right next to you. <laughs> and we need to recognize that and talk with him. When you get together to pray, just say, hey, Lord, I know you're right here can't see you, but I know it's true. Your word says it is. So I'm just going to talk. When you're in the car, when you're at work, when you're in the shower, when you're getting into bed, good night, Lord, I know you're here. When you get up in the morning, good morning, Lord, I know you're right here. Do you practice his presence? If you don't, building a relationship with him is going to get nowhere. All right, that's the first. The second piece of hardware is uh, obvious in the passage, and that is a door knocker. I don't know if they looked like this back in the ancient world, but you get the point. Jesus is knocking at the door. And the door knocker, Jesus knocking at the door, I believe conveys his love. It's mind-boggling to think what does this mean that the great Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, has arrived at the door of my life. What is he conveying with the knock? He's saying, I want you. I'm hoping you'll open the door, that we can be together, that we can share a meal together. It's love. It's mind-boggling to recognize that God is a seeker. We normally talk about people as spiritual seekers, saying that we seek God. You know what? We may seek God. He seeks us first. The Bible says we love because God first loved us. Jesus said that we're like that lost sheep and God's going after us in pursuit of us. It's evidenced by him at the door. God is being vulnerable with the knocking. He's saying, I don't know what you want, God says, but I want you to know that I want you. I love you. When I meet married couples in our church, one of the things I like to ask sometimes is, how did you meet? And I, you know, hear usually a good story. And then the second question I follow up with sometimes is, who was the first one to express romantic interest? And there's always one who's 
It's terrible. It's the, the one who didn't is always prideful. Yeah, she was hot for me. You know, oh, you can see why. Okay? You know, and it's, and I, I'm, I'm the one who has to admit, yeah, I was wildly in love with my wife for three years before she had any interest in me at all. You know, it's, and she had a pity. You know, it's, uh, Here's a question for you. With you and your relationship with the Lord, who was interested first? Oh, Jesus says, I was wildly in love with you back when you had no interest in me at all. And then some of you are like, ah, how can I believe that? It's in the Bible. He's longing for you. He's knocking at the door. If you don't believe his love, if you are going to continue to argue, I don't like myself. How can I believe he loves me? If you're going to say, I don't deserve this love. You're not going to build a relationship with him until you wave the white flag and say, fine, I surrender. And I receive what you declare to be true in Scripture again and again and again. That even when I wasn't interested in you, you adore me. And friends, to believe that love, to look for it, to receive it, to enjoy it. This relationship with God is based on love. And when he loved us first, we can love him back, and that's where it all flourishes. So this is an essential step in building a relationship is to acknowledge the love. Well, the next one is symbolized by a key. Uh, as we go to the next point here, it says you've got to open the door. So if the door can be opened, that means it's unlocked. Who has unlocked the door? You may say, well, I think I did. No, Jesus is the one with the key. I know that because earlier in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus said, I hold the keys. And the keys here symbolize the authority to remove the barrier between us and God. Uh, we can't get to heaven after death. We can't be in friendship with God if not for the one with the keys, Jesus Christ, making that way possible. And where did he get the authority, the key? Through his cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is what makes relationship with God possible. Uh, there'd be a locked door between us and God. We the sinners, he the holy God forever separated, if not for what Christ did. Jesus Christ took the guilt and the sin of the world, including mine and yours, on his shoulders. Somehow it was miraculously, miraculously transferred to him. And then he's faced the executioner's death and said, I know that this sin requires the death penalty. I'm going to pay it for you. And Jesus paid with his life, satisfying justice and unlocking the door so it's possible for us to have relationship with God. And so the, the point here is his accessibility. Friends, when you say, oh, how, how can I expect to have a relationship with God? I'll tell you how you can expect it. He's accessible because of what Jesus Christ did. You've got to believe that the payment Jesus made on the cross was sufficient to unlock that door and make relationship with him possible. When you realize Christ died on the cross so that I could have friendship with God, it's the whole point of why he died was to get you in friendship with God, for you to take a pass on that? It's unthinkable. There's a, there's a man in our church, has two sons. 
His two sons are diehard New England Patriots fans. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, uh, this father bought two tickets for his boys to go to the Patriots Super Bowl that they just won. I don't know if you know, but those tickets cost thousands of dollars. Imagine if that dad had called his boys that were in Atlanta and said, what's it like being at the game? And and imagine the boys that say, well, dad, as it turned out, we decided to watch it from our hotel room on the TV. You know, we just didn't want to. He would have been like, no, I didn't pay that price for you to watch from TV. I paid that price for you to move close, for you to be there. Similarly, for Jesus to have paid the ultimate price to bring friendship with God and for us to say, you know what, Lord, as it turns out, thanks for paying the price and all, but we're just not interested in really, I I want forgiveness of my sin, but I'm not interested in friendship with God. You know, the Lord's like, no, that's the point. Some people are like, no, no, he paid the price so we could go to heaven. No, yes, but no. Heaven is only heaven because of relationship with God. It's ultimately all about this connection. And for us to look at the one who paid the ultimate price to make God accessible, and for us to say, yeah, I know what you paid, but I'm not interested. It's just unthinkable. And so you've got to believe that the price has been paid, and I have the unspeakable privilege of knowing God because of the one with the keys. There's one more. And you see it coming, don't you? It's a, it's a doorknob. And that is, we are invited to open the door, right? And what is, uh, it's, it's, it's claiming his promise. His promise is conditional. It's an if. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I promise I will come in. And we will have table fellowship, the Lord says. But, you know. He continues to wait until you open the door. This is so important. Jesus could kick the door down. You know that, right? He's the almighty God, but he never forces himself on anyone. He has declared his heart in the knocking, but he waits to be wanted. And if you're like the Laodiceans, more interested in the things of this world, he's like, all right, I'll just keep knocking. But I'm going to wait until you want me. And friends, uh, some are coming to the point where they're like, well, what am I doing? I'm, I'm taking a pass. I'm the greatest privilege ever offered to humanity. And that's friendship with God himself. What am I thinking? Lord, I apologize. And you open the door. In other cases, uh, we're like, eh, interesting, but not going to really prioritize building a friendship with God. And he's like, all right, I'll keep waiting. I'm a gentleman. And Jesus stands knocking, in some cases, for a decade. He's very patient, you know. Sometimes he knocks for 20 years, 30, 40, 50. I know a guy, Charlie, he knocked on the door for 60 years before Charlie opened. In fact, here's a little bit of Charlie's story. Last year on my 60th birthday, I looked online and I said, would you be interested in going to this church in Naperville on a Saturday service? And my wife goes, 
are you suggesting this? I go, yeah. I said, why don't we see what it's like? And after the first couple of sermons that Jeff was doing and he's doing his props and the things that he's talking about and the aha, you know, for us, for me was like, oh, that explains it. We never knew the Bible. We've heard things from the Bible, but we never knew the whole meaning behind it. And it's just, it's like my eyes have been just like opened like a little kid. It's a peace and that you turn to him and he's there for you. Just say, God, hey, I'm in your hands. And you don't have to do, okay, well, I did this, this, and this, God. Does this meet the qualifications? No, you just say, God, I need your help. There's a message here. It's the message of hope. And that's the message I keep hearing since we've started this journey. And it's like we're enlightened, um, saved, whatever you want to call it. But that's for my wife and I. In fact, we mentioned this to one of my family members, and we said we made this change. Everyone's like, you two? And I said, yeah, we're just, we're getting so much more by just opening up our eyes and our ears and our heart. I'm listening. To, it's like I'm getting these feelings. I, I'm listening where I would, basically, I would push it away. I'm like, no, I think he's reaching out as long as you open up the door. Did you, did you catch what he just said? Open up the door. Oh, we'll celebrate that. Charlie just said, if you open up the door. He had no idea what text I was preaching on or what imagery I was using. The, the Lord was leading him to those words. Charlie's uh, childlike enthusiasm, don't you see it? Charlie's realizing you can have a friendship with God, and that is the best thing going Seeing Charlie's enthusiasm reminds me of me 30 years ago when I first opened the door to Jesus and said, I want you more than, I, I've been, for me, it's been about religion. I want relationship. And my enthusiasm back then was off the charts. And now in my life, I've got more. I've got a wife and I've got kids and I've got a great church but I'm still here to tell you the only thing that satisfies my heart, the best part of existence, is friendship with the Almighty. And so, uh, let's close in prayer. And this closing prayer could be your chance to open the door. For some of you, you're like, you know what? I've never really opened the door. I've never trusted Jesus as the forgiver of my sins, the leader of my life. I've never said, I want you to come in and dine with me. And so this moment in this closing prayer, God's listening. This is your moment of salvation, your moment of reconciliation with God. Now, others kind of like the Laodiceans, you've been a Christian, but you've been so preoccupied with other things that you realize you've kind of pushed Jesus to the outside. This is not your moment of salvation, but this is your moment of repentance, saying, what am I doing? And recommitment to pursue the ideal of building a friendship with him. Shall we pray? God, as we pray, we just acknowledge that you're here. I can't see you, but we're looking through the people, and we know from the authority of your word, you're right here listening. So hear our cry. You've been knocking at the door? We're opening. Jesus Christ, come in. 
dine with us. We long to know you, to build friendship, relationship, both now and forever. We believe to the core of our being that the best thing is not the gifts. The best thing is the giver. And we're here to say yes to this desire of your heart, and that's to build a friendship. God, please, in the days ahead, let this relationship flourish. It's what we want. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.